the following episode of a Cinema Recall, I would say, is rated PG to PG-13, which means that it is acceptable for all listeners, but parental guidance is still suggested, especially when listening to me. Alright, enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this another episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast. I'm your host, The Vern. For this show, folks, I'm actually replaying an earlier episode that I did for that moment in the podcast network. Um, we had on a bunch of other podcasters from that network, including Kim Lowe, Stephen Palmer, Elwood Jones, talking about movies that we love that everyone else hates. And I wanted to repost this one just because that moment in podcast network no longer exists. The state, the site is still up, uh, thatmomentin.com, and I recommend all of our listeners to go ahead and check it out. A lot of fun, a lot of great articles, some of it's written by me, others by other great individuals. Uh, but yeah, but I'm not going to dabble in anymore. Uh, here's a show, uh, one little piece of information There is a few audio hiccups here and there in the episode, but still a fun one. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Let's do it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this brand new episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast over at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, The Vern, and I brought back with me every other podcaster from the That Moment in Network, I'm very excited to have on with us Mr. Elwood Jones of TV Good Sleep Bad. Hello, Elwood. Hello. We have with us uh, Kim Lowe from the Game Warp Podcast. Hello, Kim. Hey. And we have uh, Stephen Palmer of the Asian Cinema Film Club. Hello, Stephen. Hello. And as I mentioned before, and our one of our last episodes, that uh, Mr. Elwood Jones is the, also the host of those other podcasts. I like to think Elwood has like multiple personalities to do all this work. <laughs> it just does a lot of time on my hands, you and I, I don't I don't do like downtime. It's sort of like if you said to me, "Do you want to go like pick apples in Russia?" and I've got like an hour to do it, I'd be like, "Yes, I'm, I'm there. Let's go and." Apples in Russia. Um, yeah, for some reason, I've now managed to corner every sort of interest I have. I think I now have a project attached to said interest, so it's a wonderful space to be in, for sure. Very cool. Uh, well, what we're doing on today's episode, I'm very excited about this. We're doing an episode about movies that we love that everyone else hates, alright? These are movies that didn't get a good uh, either a critical or audience score and we're going to dive into like our top three and then another episode that we're going to be recording hopefully a week later is going is to be movies that we hate that everybody else loves All right, but this time we're doing movies that we love that everybody else hates um, doing our top three I think we'll just dive into right away folks uh, let's go ahead and start with you, uh, Stephen. What is your number three? 
I don't think I've really put mine in order. <coughs> and I'm also concerned that I'm going to... Lucky's not here, though, so he can't pick anything that I've picked. So that's good, better than last time I was here. I'm going to start with a film which was critically lambasted, um, not really viewed as um, very popular amongst lovers of this particular film franchise. But I bloody adore it. And I'm going to go for the... Um, the flawed but brilliant Alien 3. Oh, the Avengers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now, now, Stephen, are, are you using the theatrical or the assembly cut? I'm using the one that I saw at the cinema, which okay. was the theatrical cut back in, I guess, 92, something like that. I remember watching it on my own in a cinema in Brighton. <laughs> Literally, there was just me and somebody who was sweeping up the popcorn on a wet weekday afternoon and I loved it I love the fact that everybody in it was British apart from Sigourney Weaver it's full of people from British television and cinema it's got this brilliant feel and look to it and yeah okay so the production values are low you can see that the the, the, the big corporation has been involved in trying to change it to something else. If you tell me that that's better, that that's not better than Alien Four at the very least, you're you're a liar. You know, it's really it's really um, funny how I at least think two other people on this podcast like that movie. Myself included. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't have any issues with Alien Three. I think it's a solid movie. I I, I do I. Uh, the only thing that irritates me the most about that movie is the very beginning of that movie when they decide to kill off two characters, just, just even like through the opening credits, which I had really big issues with because those were major characters from Aliens, and to have them go away in such in just a test message, all right, it just felt mm-hmm. bad, all right. You're watching the movie and then you just see on a Steven on a crawl. That these two characters, these two characters you love so much, are are gone. So I don't know. I mean, Alien Three is like hands down my favorite of like the saga, and really? I love. I mean, I absolutely adore Alien Three. I don't know why people have an issue with it, and I think mainly the issue is that the fact that when we look at the saga, I mean, obviously Ridley Scott gives us Alien One, which is the haunted house in space. James Cameron comes along, he's like, well, I can't do. You know, I can't do sneaky, sneaky uh, scare because everyone knows what the alien is. So the only thing we can really do is to go like balls to the wall. So I do Vietnam in space. And when we get to Alien 3, it's really kind of like feels like the middle portion of a trilogy. Because in the first part of a trilogy, you introduce your characters. Second part, you put, say, characters in the worst situation possible, which is obviously the situation we have with Alien 3. We have like no guns. She's on a prisoner planet. She's the only female in a old male prison colony. Um, and it's like strips everything right back. And we, then if we obviously look at Alien Resurrection, it's like the final part of the trilogy. If we cut out Aliens altogether, because she finally gets back to Earth. Um, it's sort of like the big happy ending. Um, but yeah, there's so many elements of Alien 3 I love. I mean, I love the, the original idea where it's going to be the wooden planet and it's going to be like a bunch of monks. Um, and you see elements of that in Alien 3, the one we have, obviously, these prisoners, they've discovered their own post-apocalyptic version of uh, Christianity on, like, the fringes of space. And the fact that 
even though the city's technically closed down, these prisoners have chosen to stay there because they've got no place in the outside world, and many of the staff have no place in the outside world, such as, like, when we look at um, Charles Dance's character, Clements, the fact that he was, like, this doctor who, because he got drunk um, and killed a bunch of patients, he can't go back to normal life. That's why he stays there as a medical doctor, because he's the only place he has any sort of status, and this is not even mentioned, like, the fact we've got Brian Glover as Clements, like, the head, the head warden, and for my money, he's, like, the reason to pay your ticket to He's, like, the greatest character in the whole of the Alien universe. And, uh, yeah, I just... Even if we're watching, like, the production cut or we're watching, like, the original cut, there's just not a bad move in this. And even if the studios did try and screw around with it and Fincher obviously not having the pull he does have now... Um, I think it is still an absolutely wonderful, wonderful film. All right. I also, I also like the way we can almost view it as a, as a, as an alternate, alternate universe version of with Neil and I, because we've got Ralph Brown and Paul McGam, and originally the Charles Dance character was um, offered to Richard E. Grant, and that would have just made it the best film ever. But I'll take two <laughs> out of three. You see, I can totally see uh, Richard E. Grant playing. The Clements role, um, and it's sort of like—I mean, with the role of like Clements, I mean, it's finally given every. Is again, it's like continuing theme. Ripley has this sense of normality, and it's like torn away from her. Like she has, uh, she loses a daughter, and she gains a daughter in Newton Aliens, and then that's torn away from her, and she gains some sort of like normality, like a, a normal sort of life with this chance of romance with Clements, and again, that's torn away from her. So um, the fact that she like ends up sacrificing herself at the end. Uh, much to like there's going to move as delight because she was done with the saga at this point um i think it's just like even if they left it free it would have been like a perfect ending for the saga but um obviously we went under resurrection and that continued the saga in an interesting way so all right uh yeah I, I just wow good choice to do with alien three um yeah i uh, for me alien just kind of ended with part two but I don't have any major issues with aliens except what I mentioned before, how they just killed off certain characters without actually seeing them. God damn it. Fucking editors. Alright. Um, uh, Kim, let's go to you. What is your number three of movies that you love that everyone else hates? You know, my three is kind of like a movie I like and not I love. <laughs> I okay. had a hard time with this list. Uh, but um, thinking about it, I'm choosing the 2007 Halloween. Whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, explain yourself here, because I really dislike this movie. Well, I think it's... You know what? I think it's different for me, because I went into watching, like, Halloween very late. Like, after I started my blog, I caught up with all these horror franchises. So I don't have that initial, like... I think, like, nostalgia also to how horror should be. And my idea of horror is, I guess, a little bit different from other people. So I thought, actually, Halloween was, like, the 20, 2007 was pretty good because I liked the style of it and I liked how they structured the film. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, it, that's, it's not that, bad. That made sense, too, because I only have only seen the original Halloween because it played on TV so many times and watched it on videos. So when but, yeah, the remake like, came out, I, oh. I mean, like obviously the original and like the second one was 
really good. You know, like they, there was a lot of elements that like it's it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. And I totally buy into it. And obviously it's not the same caliber. Mm-hmm. But but like I thought that the way they did this one was nice because of the way they approached it of like how it was kind of like. I, I like the approach of it. I guess I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know how to better explain no, it. Like I said, I like it. I don't love it. I don't. It's not a movie that I go back and watch like every year or anything. You know, it's it's one that I thought of and I was like, I like the idea that they were able to bring back in. You know, like um, they were able to like kind of like get back into it. And I kind of had that same feeling. Maybe not the same like kind of dreading fear as the first one, but the way they structured it worked really well. Also, I guess I like the concept of Rob Zombie, director Rob Zombie, going back into Michael Myers' life and kind of showing what happens exactly. before the events. Yeah. Wait till that, that, Yeah. And on paper, that sounds like a really fascinating idea, but when you see the first scene and the family's all, like, yelling and yelling and swearing at each other and the dad is, like, checking out his stepdaughter's ass and everything and then everyone's, like, just being horrible people... I was like, shit, Michael Myers, you should just kill everyone right now because these are horrible people, and I really don't blame for the fact that you're killing these people off. But in the original, you really don't know why he did it because the family seemed to be a somewhat normal suburban family, and the fact that Michael Myers just goes all nuts and crazy just adds to the fear of that. When you see in Rob Zombie's version that he's just this messed up kid who has a horrible family... It just it uh It's a different angle. True, but it doesn't have any of the fear or the mystery about it. That's was my issue with that movie. We well, the Rob Zombie cut, this was originally supposed to be two films and the studios were basically like, No, we're gonna cut it into one film and that's why it's so disjointed. Like the first half was gonna be my young Michael Myers. Um, the the half everyone loves and then the second half will be like what Halloween was and basically uh, Rob Zombie was like you know if you're just gonna screw around with it I'll just combine it into the two because I might not get a chance to come back and do like a second part and then obviously it comes out it makes money and they're like oh we're gonna make like Halloween 2 and then he's like well I've used up all my ideas on the first one so that's why his Halloween 2 is kind of uh, kind of horrible but um yeah, I liked what he did. I mean, it's Rob Zombie's world is a grimy sort of world, so seeing the Michael Myers family of the Rob Zombie vision didn't really surprise me, the fact they're all kind of like white trash, so... Oh, I, I might be the only ones out there that kind of like the second one compared to the first one, because at least the second one is a completely different original movie. I mean, Halloween 2 all takes place in this hospital, but Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 has all these, like, Mystical, mystical themes with horses and women in white and everything, and it just doesn't match anything of like Halloween Two, uh, the original Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yes, the first parts are different, but the second part is pretty much uh, kind of a remake, just with more shaky cam and a big giant Michael Myers, which doesn't really seem to make any sense at all? I mean, this guy's like a freaking giant right there. I, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I did like, you know, Malcolm McDowell in the movie. Yeah. He played like the very uh, arrogant Dr. Loomis, which is very much different uh, than Donald Pleasant's performance. So I like the fact that that was different. And I do like the fact, too, that it actually has cameos from a bunch of horror legends in this. Uh, you know, Udo Kier, 
um, and then um, oh gosh, Brad Dorf's in this one, and you got the, one of the guys from the uh, oh yeah, Daniel Harris in this, and I think you have one of the guys from the um, Dawn of the Dead, Ken Forey, that's his name. Uh, anyway, thoughts on Halloween? I have no, no interest in any of these remakes at all that got all popular in the the late 2000s, so I haven't seen it. Apart I, from, you're now going to call me a liar when I tell you my number two pick, but in general, I have zero interest in Rob Zombie remakes of 80s horror movies. I mean, it is kind of a fascinating approach of what he does with the thing, and I do admire him for doing something different than just doing a straight remake of Halloween, trying to change it up a little bit, but he turned Michael Myers into, like, a Lifetime original movie, and I hated him for that. So Yeah, because in the original, Michael Myers is meant to be this emotionless shape, this thing. There's not meant to be a backstory. He's just a force of nature. Yeah. So... It's a, it just feels against everything because I love that movie. That movie means a lot to me, and I didn't want to see it remade. Okay, but fair you can call enough. me a hypocrite. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, Elwood, we need to you. What is your number three? <laughs> um, my number three. I mean, I'm kind of going in the wrong order here because my. I'm probably going to go with what should be my number one, but I'm kind of afraid that someone else is going to pick it, so I'm going to get in there first. Okay. Um, and this one, I kind of feel that uh, you were calling me out with um, when you asked me on the show. And uh, my first pick is going to be Southland Tales. Nice. This is an epic Los Angeles crime saga. And you're researching your role. You play a cop. You want to do a ride along? Yes, exactly. But I'm also directing the film. It takes place in the near future. Right. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Hmm. The basic concept is this. I play an LAPD cop who isn't who he seems. He's a paranoid schizophrenic who has a supernatural gift. He sees things and he senses a change in the city. Crime suddenly skyrockets for no apparent reason. The world is coming to an end. And he's the only one who can see the truth. What's the truth? my character he realizes that the apocalyptic crime rate is because of global deceleration the rotation of the earth is slowing down at a rate of 0.0000000006 miles per hour each day disrupting the chemical equilibrium in the human brain causing very irrational criminal behavior um, All right. If anyone knows me um, or has had any encounter with me, know that <laughs> the one way to set me off is to say that you didn't like Southland Tales or to say that it didn't make sense to you because Southland Tales is like one of my all time favorite films. And Richard Kelly, in particular, is like, again, one of my all time favorite directors. So um, this film is a lot of people don't like it because it's um, a little overcomplicated and in many ways it's very surreal um, but because David Lynch's name isn't attached to the director um, people really kind of beat down on this one and it's a real shame because it's a really interesting film and it's only trying to do 
interesting things. Um, originally, this film was like three hours long, and it received a poor reception at Cannes, so he took it away for a year, re-edited it down, and added in a narration from Justin Timberlake's character. Um, I mean, this film, it's essentially three different storylines set in this near-future version of Los Angeles, where after a nuclear bomb sort of detonated in Texas, it turns the sort of Southern California and the Great Los Angeles into this military state. And the whole film is kind of like it's satirical commentary on the military industrial complex and the infotainment industry. So we've got um, The Rock, who's playing this uh, character named Boxer and Tanner, who basically wakes up on a beach with no idea where he is. And in turn gets involved with these sort of different characters, including... Uh, Sam Michelle Gellar, who's playing the Jenna Jameson-style character. She's basically this former porn star called Kristen Now, who is basically now working on creating a, a, a life for herself. So she's got like a reality TV show. She's got her own energy drink, which is really ahead of the time. Um, at the same time, we've got Sean William Scott here in a really rare serious role, who plays um, a pair of identical brothers who may play a greater part in like what's happening around them and um and just all these little like satirical nods to society in general that rich kelly puts in and it's a shame that people sort of like really love to beat down this film because i don't understand why i mean i every time i watch this i think it's just an absolute blast and it just sort of rockets through but i know a lot of people have uh, an issue and i mean this is a film where you get to see christopher lambert play an arms dealer who works out of an ice cream truck um and I think for that alone, it's uh, worth watching. So I don't know. It's it's one of those films that's really hard to explain. And yes, it has a really random song and dance routine with Justin Timberlake miming along to The Killers, all these things I've done. Um, but as I say, it's just so beautiful to watch. And it's one of those films you've got to just like, kind of watch and let wash over you rather than just sit there questioning every single little movement on the screen. So I, I guess I, I, I enjoyed the movie, Elwood. I do think that this probably would have worked better as a TV series, just because there's so many characters, so many plot lines, and sometimes when I watch this movie, I get really kind of lost of yeah. where to be in this movie. I enjoy watch, watching all the characters and the scenes, and I feel like if this was expanded out into a series, I could understand and have the characters fleshed out a little bit more, but... I still like going back and watching it just to find out what it is all about. Um, did you ever read the comic books? There was supposed to be like a prequel comic I, books. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, the comic books seem to be what they cut out of the, cut out of the books. Is the first half of uh, the story you can read in the comic books, or you can just, as I said, you can just watch it. Um, the film as it is because basically the comic books end where the film begins so in the film we got parts four five and six all of them named after um after different songs so you've got like temptation waits which is obviously a garbage reference and you've got wave emulation which is a pixies reference um again richard kelly has a really awesome soundtrack here he includes like a really rare version of the pixies wave emulation which is really cool and does seem like actors working against types so like the rock has moments where he's like showing nervousness and um, bewilderment and actual fear. And it's really nice seeing him do that. To see Sir Michelle Geller play an adult porn star is just really amusing to see and see her tap into that Catherine vibe she did in Cruel Intentions. 
And again, Sean William Scott just doing serious acting is just really interesting to see. And even if we grade down to like the supporting characters like Justin Timberlake and Bay Ling, there never seems to be like a character who's like, oh, you're just gratuitously in there. Everyone seems to have a purpose and their role in sort of like this greater sort of plot line. And yeah, I think back when I was doing like the MBDS podcast, I mean, we were, I felt it was like so close. We were going to get Rich Kelly on for episode 15. We were going to sit down and talk about this movie because I sent over some like twists and he responded. It all seemed to be going and they just, never happened and uh i think that's like one of my great what great whales out there is just to finally sit down with rich kelly and just talk about this movie because i think there's just uh so much to just take apart and explore in it it's just and uh but even not fully understanding always like johnny darko it's uh it's just really a wonderful experience very true very true and also this movie reunites a lot of old snl alumni you have like uh nora dunn in this and i believe um Gosh, I can't find the names in here now, but I know she's in there. Um, oh, gosh, help me out here. There's like, cause I can't pull my cast. See, this is the thing, because SNL doesn't get shown in the UK, so we we only get told who's SNL. We don't actually know for ourselves over oh, here. Oh, you don't? So. No, it's only when they would be like, like, do a film, and it's like, former SNL, oh, and we're like, were yeah, they? John, John Lovitz, that's the name, John Lovitz. I don't know why I couldn't blame it on the, I don't know why I was blaming on the name, but... Uh, John Lovitz in this. Uh, Amy Dunn. Poehler. Yeah. Amy Poehler. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Robinson, who was in obviously in Poltergeist, and you know oh, yeah. she's not SNL, but she's awesome. All so right. you, know, you can look at the cast, and you're like, oh my god, that person's in it. Like Eli Roth has like a cameo role where he shots on the toilet, which is probably you know a good <laughs> well, representation Ke- Kevin, of his Kevin career. Smith? Kevin Smith. Oh my god. Isn't this too? <laughs> Kevin Smith, I didn't know because he's in heavy makeup. Yeah. But until he does this one line, and then it's like, oh my god, that's Kevin Smith. Oh gosh. All uh, right. Uh, well, very good choice there. Number three. Any any other, any other thoughts about Southland Tales from you, Stephen, or you, Kim? I haven't seen it. I, I like give me crap about either. it all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew he was going to pick it, and it's still. Yeah, I've, exactly. I've, I've, I've owned this movie since it was out on DVD and I've never watched it. And now I kind of see it as a rite of passage never to watch it. But he will talk me into <laughs> it eventually. You just know, that, just know that by not watching it, you're acknowledging how awesome it is. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the long and short. Oh. By having no counter-argument. <laughs> but no, I um, I think I've probably ruined more potential friendships with this this film than I have uh, any other because I'm just such a fierce defender of it and I think for some reason it's I, I don't know there's, there's people out there who really love it like Donnie Darko the people out there really love it and when obviously when Donnie Darko came out nobody in the States got it and when it came over to the UK live restaurant dogs we just went absolutely nuts for it and then it went back to the States and it was sort of like oh this film did amazing business in the UK and then suddenly it became a big cool thing in the States so um for some reason, Quentin Tarantino and Rich Kelly really vibes with us here in the UK. So, all right, very good, very good. Um, all right, well, I had a lot of movies on my list, and it's really hard for me to pick like a top three. Um, but uh, what the hell? I feel like some of these are gonna, some of these are gonna get left out. But let's do it though. I'll, I'll, I'll mention some honorable mentions at the end here. My list will probably change throughout the times. Uh, but my number three has debate of doing this or not. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. 
Who World, released in uh, 1992, directed by Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> it is the story of a cartoonist played by Gabriel Byrne, who keeps getting visits into the cartoon world that he created called The Cool World, and he becomes seduced by Kim Basinger's character, named of Hollywood, to basically have sex with them so that she can become a real person in the real world. And you have a detective played by Brad Pitt who must go and try to get her back. Now, when Roger Rabbit came out, it was a big, huge thing, and everyone loved the movie. And then I saw there's going to be a racier tune movie, tune in human movies about cartoons having sex with humans. And me and my perverted 14-year-old mind said, "All right, that sounds like a good flip for me to watch." And it had like a really great soundtrack. Love the soundtrack. It has like Thompson Twins and Ministry and Moby on there. It's got uh, storyline is bizarre. It's got really bizarre animation. But I, I can't help but just dig it a little bit. And I like all the random animation moments it has in there. Alright? I like I like the moment of like the phone just sitting there on desk going Oh, I just can't take it sort of like Tess Avery Looney Tunes type of like if like Looney Tunes took acid that would be cool world for me I just love all the randomness of it and I totally understand why people hate this movie so much but I just love all the crazy weird things that are going on there this is the type of role that I would want to live in alright um, not for the chance to have sex with hot bunch of cartoon characters but just random the spider character right here I yeah it just it's off the walls it's, it's so, kind of an odd movie for a major studio to release I mean this is from director Ralph Bacci who did uh, Fritz the Cat and Heavy Traffic and Wizards and I actually it was because of this movie I went back and saw his older features and I thought whoa this is a guy that does like really hardcore adult animated films and I guess the original script of this was different, so... Yeah, and I can tell from the silence, I don't think anyone has seen this, or they don't like it. Oh, no, I've seen Cool World. Okay. Okay, yeah, uh, I... I I feel like I have... I was just thinking, I was like... I was like, maybe you have the wrong person, because I think my husband likes it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was nice. Like, I have a feeling I watched this, and I'm looking at, like, the poster right now, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I watched it, and I might have fallen asleep at some point of it. But I remember it, kind of. <laughs> fair, fair enough, yeah. Oh. Uh, things about yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I've never seen it, but I bought the David Bowie... Um, <clears throat> 
lead soundtrack song from it when it came out back in 92 <laughs> so i have some some connection to it but i don't think i'm not even convinced it even came out over here did it elwood yes it came out very limited release i mean a lot of actually stuff went it came out very limited and then was turned up in your video so i mean but actually really forms that third group of like american animation because you've got disney and then you've got don bluth who's like cigar chomping villains and and then you got ralph bakshi sort of like the heavy metal style of um, animation and yeah i think cool world i mean in the original he would be like a cartoonist who find who creates himself like a half real half cartoon daughter who wants to kill him and then basically producers started screwing around because um Kim Bassinger wanted some film she could like show the kids in hospital or something or so back she says and they basically gutted the film and I mean this is weird because I mean this is a very early Brad Pitt movie back when he was doing like things like Johnny Swade so he was yet to break through and do like have his like film Louise moment um so it's kind of weird to see him in this sort of film especially because it is like Roger Rabbit on acid um and the fact that these cartoon creations they're very back yes but obviously to so we're not familiar with his style they're very sort of mean-spirited and twisted um so i think a lot of people didn't know what they were getting into with this one and it's sort of now become the radar of like the bad movie um critics who seem to love digging it out now obviously the fact the rumors become vogue so uh this seems to be a favorite of theirs to sort of dig out and criticize at the moment but yeah it's um i wasn't a huge fan um personally but I mean, certainly Bakshi has got better films you can watch on it, but I'd say this is certainly an interesting selection for yourself, then. Gotcha. No, yeah, it's funny too, you mentioned about the different plot elements of this. I do remember reading something about that, and apparently Tracy Lords was going to be in the movie until uh, Kim Basinger got involved with this, and apparently her name was going to be Debbie Dallas after the porno film Debbie Does Dallas. And I would lay. I think that this movie actually was sold as a hard R, like it was originally intended to be. Um, it probably would have lost money, but I think it probably would have gained more of a cult status than it does now. Mm-hmm. I don't think even people it's... that. Well, I'm saying people that even enjoy that people that enjoy cult movies, you know, don't really like this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's a very it, we're we're a very narrow uh, narrow niche of people. That like this movie, there there are more people that like showgirls than like Cool World. All right, I mean it's a very oh yeah. I I will have a hard time getting this movie to be movie of the month. I mean I would really have to work at that. But all you gotta do is just get Jay to say I don't like this movie, okay. and then you can get it under the uh, movie of the month. It seems, so. <laughs> but um, I mean this is weird. I mean it's weird you're saying this was obviously marketed as like hard R. I mean, here in the UK it was like. Show they would show like clips of it in like Saturday morning kids, um, like variety shows and stuff. And you you have oh. like the Nintendo video game and stuff came out, so it's weird who they were actually marketing this to because obviously, if you've got a video game, it's normally at this point, obviously, in, like the early 90s, you assume it's like for kids, um, that they're trying to draw into this. And I don't know any kids who are like gonna watch this and go, What the hell. Unless it's like a Dark Crystal situation where the parents are like, you like that Roger Rabbit movie? Here's here's another movie like it. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and I said before, it's it's hard for me to defend here. I like I said before, it's just all the crazy randomness of it, though. I I love the soundtrack and yeah, it, to me it was kind of like a hardcore 
adult light version of Roger Rabbit. It's like Roger Rabbit going into the very seedy side of Toon World right there, where they have like sex clubs and bars and everything like that. So I just enjoy it for that aspect of it, though, with my very warped teenage mind. But this is a movie that definitely influenced me when I was a young kid, knowing that all movies don't have to be very cookie cutter and safe and whatnot there. So. That's it. That's my number three. Uh, but moving on to you, Stephen. What's your number three, man? Well, it's to be my number two, won't it? Number two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going backwards again. I always, always talk about your number three over again. No, yeah, number two. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> it's all right. Okay. So after I said about Kim's Choice, I don't really like any of these sort of <clears throat> millennial remakes of... 80s and 90s films i'm now going to pick one i'm not sure anyone actually hates this film but i'm pretty sure everyone thinks it's a far inferior version of the original but i'm going for jose patilla's 2014 remake of robocop now don't get me wrong okay all right i love paul verhoeven's robocop I love it dearly. It's it's got its tongue firmly in its cheek. It's full of splatter and violence and humour, and no little social humour. But the 2014 version, I think, is a fantastically executed film. I think it's it's stylish. I think it's got things to say about the modern world in terms of media and politics. I think it's got something really interesting going on, whereas in Verhoeven's vision, um, the lead character gains humanity throughout the film, whereas our character in this one loses humanity. Um, I just I, I understand why people don't like it because they're comparing it to the original. I'm not entirely sure there's a point to it, but I really enjoyed it. Okay, uh, I know I've only seen this movie once. I think I was going to see another movie, and I went to the wrong theater. And so basically, I got several seen Robocop, and I was like, "All right, well, I'm already here." And I think people's main issues with this movie is that it was called Robocop. I don't. I think if this movie was called something else. No one would ever make a bat an eye about it, though, because it is a similar storyline, but also very different. Uh, it does offer really great performances from Michael Keaton and there as a guy who uh, basically is helped build in the suit. Uh, he, I think he would, he would have been, Michael Keaton's role uh, would have been the role that, I'm, I'm forgetting the actor's name, the guy who actually first builds the suit in the original Robocop. Um, uh, Mitch somebody, Mitch, oh god, help me out here. Um, I'm just name right now. It's gonna bother the hell out of me. Uh, but he's the guy that helps build the suit. Miguel Ferreira. I think Michael Keaton's in the remake is sort of like Miguel Ferreira's uh, mixed in with, I guess, uh, Ronnie Cox's role in there. Just kind of both of those together. He's the guy that starts off. And I'm, I'm trying my best not to uh, get into major spoilers here, but I think I've done that already. Um. But yeah, I, I liked him. Uh, I also thought that uh, Gary Oldman was also good in this. I do like the fact, too, that they had uh, Officer Lewis be a black man instead of a white woman. I thought that was a nice little uh, twist of this as well. Uh, I guess my big issues with the new Robocop isn't so much the storyline, because I think the storyline's fine. It's the action sequences, because everything, because they're trying to get a PG-13 rating, 
everything has to be shot in like shadows and darks and you can't really see anything that's happening because everything is moving around too fast and you have the cameras doing shades and every time someone does this shot it's got it's got like pan away and then pan back um and yeah that's probably my big issue with that yeah i think that's a, <clears throat> i think that's a quite a valid concern i mean a lot of people have complained about the the lack of violence as well as how it's how it's filmed but it, the but, film sort of having an attack on it, it, it on the militarization of technology isn't it and so i guess it's trying to show it in a different way I, I think it might not have been successful but i still love it no and i'm not trying to attack the storyline of it though because i do find the storyline fascinating of it though and I, I do like the fact that um i think Joel Clemens, and like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it, only saw it once in theaters, and I think I was only pissed off because of all the action sequences, that I feel like I should rewatch it again to really understand the story element of it, though, because I think uh, his new Robocop, I mean, he's a guy that was completely destroyed and trying to find his own humanity again, just like the first one was. Uh, there is a lot. There is enough stuff there that's different. In there, it does that. I like the fact too. It doesn't be a complete carbon copy of the original film. Um, but yeah, but my issues are more about just the action sequences, not the actual storyline. I think the storyline would be fine. I know if you have only just know about the original Robocop and you don't have issues about it though. I'd still say check it out because this is a different story. I don't know, uh, Elwood or Kim, have you seen this new one yet? Uh, Robocop yeah. is a. I haven't. I haven't seen any Robocops. I think I might. Have, I might own the 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 twenty whatever fourteen. Um, I might have. I might own it, but I. I don't know. I'm a hoarder, so I buy things and I forget. Gotcha. Check right. if it's propping up a table. Is that what you use for? It's just prop up a table. Yeah, just prop up a table, or you know, if you need, if you can't find like a knife, and you need to spread something, or you need a frisbee for like a very small dog, or um, if you want to like signal ships, um, I don't know, <laughs> or if you're like in prison and you need to like make yourself a shank or something, I don't, I don't know. This is a good um, hatred just there. Don't watch it. I, it just did nothing for me, and the the helmet design I think annoyed me more than anything. And the fact it it basically seemed to like get going, and then it just ends. Um, and Samuel Jackson's like the only good thing that I took away from that film. Um, his little news segments reminded me so much of like Starship Troopers and that classic uh Yeah. Uh, that Venhoven sort of style of satire, uh, where everything's sort of like, he needs to get satirized as society often through like the media and in like when you look at these like news broadcasts and like Robocop and Starship Troopers and, um, Samuel Jackson's part in the new Robocop was like the only sort of real high, high point for myself, so. But, uh, yeah, best, I, I, I would say it's forgettable because I can't really remember watching it, so. Okay. Fair enough there. Alright, uh, Kim, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is uh, super uh, normal, I guess. Um, it's uh, 2002's 
Resident Evil. I really like it. <laughs> I don't what, know what, what else. Which, which one? The, the, the 2002, the, the first oh, one. Oh, the first one. Okay, okay. I, yeah, I, 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 I would... I would debating between the third so i can argue both ways if you want me to talk about the third one i can also support that one also <laughs> i say do both actually why not resident evil uh, what i mean i like the entire franchise i i can back all of it even though there's some that i'm not such a bigger fan of but <laughs> but you know like yeah like both of them i like them a lot like i think that um but then i think in a certain way i like it a lot because of how they built alice um, like Mila Jovovich's character, and I like Paul W. S. Anderson's um, style. Uh, insert here movies and tea. Last season, <laughs> our first season actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, big fan. Um, yeah, I like I like just how they do the video game adaptation, and it's it's kind of like the first one is kind of like loosely based on it, I guess. In a certain way, like you have the idea of how it all starts and you have this cool sequence and I thought the Red Queen was really cool and um, and just like the horror elements work. It feels like there's still some there's a lot of there's a decent amount of action also. Um, obviously, like if we were to talk about the extinction thing, then uh, which is the third one, extinction, then. Um, I like it because it changes the setting to the desert and there's like, you know, and that one really brings in like um, the video game characters, like at least like uh, one of the characters, like Claire Redfield. I don't know. Was Jill Valentine in this one? Elwood? I don't think so. But the no, she wasn't. Okay. No, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. So I mean, like because of the change of setting and just like how it kind of like talks about her story in this and how like the zombies kind of turn into monsters because they don't really call them zombies anymore they just call them call them monsters and mutations sort of thing then i really like all of that like it's i don't know it's this weird thing i have fascination with monsters and mutated creatures and stuff like that i don't know no i see i enjoyed i've only seen the the first two and maybe part of the fourth one i definitely need to pick up the blu-ray box set of this so i can watch them all in a row but i guess my biggest issue with the first movie is the fact that the first video game of this i remember it just scaring the crap out of me because you're this character you're investigating this house and the city and things start coming out of the walls and then yeah you start to realize that there's like another underground lair going on there. And I thought the movie just had too much of a sci-fi tech feel to it right away. I don't, I don't know why. Like, I don't like people always argue with me over this, but I mean, like for me, I thought the horror was, was decent. Like it was, I, like I said, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm mega chicken shit. So like I get scared of everything. Like right now I'm a little bit more desensitized, but like I still get like I still get a little like shocked in the scenes where they're kind of like like that scene where I don't know it was a spoiler <laughs> it's like it's like when they turn around and then they go to the tank and then she just her eyes just open like the floating lady the the dead lady and then it's just like and it kind of like shocked me and I thought that that was a really effective scene and there was a real some decent atmosphere going on in there obviously this is kind of like a guilty pleasure movie it's not like you know like a masterpiece horror you know but. It, like compared to the rest of the franchise that comes along, it's as a horror. I think it still works. Obviously, it's not the video game, um, but uh, I, I I like it. Yeah, and, and it'll be the misses too. You know that you have to try to adapt a game genre into a movie. Um, for me, I guess my favorite part of number one 
was the reveal that, all right, she's going out to the seas now, and now she's going to be fighting zombies on the streets for the second one, so I got really excited about that, but I, I can see your points with the number one of being very atmospheric of being a, a good horror flick. Um, now, am I wrong here, but didn't uh, also Paul Dibus, Paul W. Sanderson also adapt uh, Mortal Kombat? He did. And yes, the greatest movie Hollywood, ever made. His favorite movie. And didn't <laughs> you, is. Kim, talk about Paul W.S. Anderson <laughs> in your series for uh, uh, Tea and Movies with Tea? Movies and Tea, yeah. Uh, we The whole of the first season is dedicated to Paul W.S. Anderson. Um, I mean, the whole gist of when we didn't sell Movies and Tea was that we were going to reevaluate the works of different directors. We'd do a different director each season. Season one was Paul W. Sanson because uh, we both found out we were both huge fans of Rent Horizon. And then when we were going through like the filmography, it was sort of like, oh, he did Mortal Kombat. I love Mortal Kombat. And we were hitting upon all these things. And Kim, I knew already, he was a big Resident Evil fan. And um, that was uh, an experience. Um, sitting through what was it like 12, 13 Resident Evil movies? It was basically <laughs> like Kim was like, you know, you 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 uh, come and hang out, and then he was like, have you seen the film? And it's like, if not, this is gonna be all new for you. And I was just basically like putting this like Clover Orange style contraption where I was just like forced to like sit and watch the whole saga unfold before me. And yeah, I mean, Resident Evil is really um, a high point for the series and. When I first watched it, my main issue was the fact that um, when you have a zombie attack, they cut away, and it just used to constantly annoy me so much. And then coming back to it, um, and knowing what I was going to get, I did actually enjoy it a lot more. And I loved the Alice in Wonderland undertone that runs throughout the film. Um, I also love the fact that Colin Salmon dies, which is always a good thing. And um, yeah, I think if anything, this is a great starter zombie movie. If you know someone who wants to like watch a zombie movie and you want to a little lighter show rather than like uh, and a little more fast paced than like Nice the Living Dead, then I think the first Resident Evil is a great introduction to zombie movies. And like from there, you can say like, you know, we'll watch Night of the Living Dead, we'll watch like Romero's zombie trilogy, or we'll watch like Return of the Living Dead. So um, it's a great starting point for zombie movies. All right, fair enough. I don't blame that at all. Um, and where can people listen to your movies and tea show? Uh, they can, we are on pretty much all the major platforms now, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes we're on Podomatic uh, you can go to moviesandtea.wordpress.com no, moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com okay so just that cool, alright, alright so and, um, oh, great, do you have more so I grew up with the Resident Evil computer games and and I love the first couple of them and I was really disappointed with this film because like you've I felt it was like a science fiction film not a horror film yeah whereas the first couple of Resident Evil film uh, games are are survival horror you know and and you don't know what's coming around the corner things like that but it's perfectly serviceable it's just the second best um, survival horror game movie or from a PlayStation franchise because Silent Hill is so much better. Oh yeah, fair enough there. All right, and I still I still stand this point here. I think uh, Silent Hill is also a better adaptation as a movie than Resident Evil. Certainly the first film, yeah. Yeah. Right, very cool. All right, uh, but still, 
Great choice there, Kim. Uh, Elwood, what is your number two? Okay, uh, number two. I think, again, I'm just going to have to go and like represent my my corner things and i'm gonna go take us all the way back to 1998 uh where a film which obviously came with the tagline of size does matter uh, i'm gonna obviously talk about the um, first attempt by the americans to remake godzilla uh <laughs> this is a film which i know a lot of bad movie and a lot of snark casters out there uh they love to crap all over this movie they love to tear it apart and think oh look how witty and funny i am but no it's not a bad movie. It's not exactly a Godzilla movie, but it's still a really fun monster movie. And I don't understand why people have this issue with Godzilla. And then again, it's like, why do we constantly have so many people going on about like Nicolas Cage movies and trying to make cheap comedy out of that? But I suppose that's a topic for another podcast. But yeah, Godzilla, I mean, it's changes some interesting ideas. The fact that we have the French responsible for the creation of Godzilla because um obviously we can't say like japan or or we can say any other like country which we may want to either profit from or potential to start a war with so the french are to blame for the creation of um godzilla in this one which does have the upside of meaning that we get to see jean reno which again is always a really fun thing matthew broderick's a little clumsy in this as the worm guy and the fact that they constantly make this running joke about how no one can pronounce his surname gets a little old a bit quick um they also tried to take a really random stab at uh, cisco and eber uh, who are shown here as the mayor and uh, his assistant and as they pointed out when they saw the film it's like if you're going to take a jab at least have the monster eaters um so the the film itself though it's a lot of fun um whether you're talking about like the big godzilla through new york his whole like just how they tease him out his appearance, his stomp with the city, or if we get into obviously like the stadium sequence with all the little Godzillas running around, um, it's a lot of fun, uh, whichever way. And it obviously didn't lead on to the series that they wanted. We did get the really awesome cartoon series, and this did eventually turn up in the Japanese uh, sort of franchise. And when it turns to being Godzilla Final Wars, where we have Godzilla versus Zilla uh, in a fight that lasts approximately about two seconds. But, um, yeah, I never understood why people bag on this one. I mean, it truly delivers on what you would want from a giant monster movie. I would have thought that would have made people happy, but apparently not. And when we look at the last attempt to adapt Godzilla, um, it felt more like a soldier's journey than a Godzilla movie. But I think um, we yet to see what Legendary are going to do with the saga. And hopefully with King of the Monsters, they managed to do something more than that uh, flaccid trailer that we got for it. Yeah. Oh, boy. Godzilla. Um, I don't know. I think maybe some nostalgia factors. I've only seen the movie once when it was on video, but I only just saw it on, like, VHS, where it was, like, full-frame pan scan. I never actually got to see a widescreen cut of the movie. So I think this is one that I may have to go back and revisit because I just I enjoyed of what I saw but at the same time I only saw like the like I said a VHS copy of it and I wasn't seeing it in the very grand scale that I probably should have seen it in I know if I would have saw this in theaters I probably would have had a better recollection of the movie 
And I'm sorry, sir, I just do not because of what I remember seeing it. And then I see like a bunch of videos, like you said before, people ripping it to pieces and making fun of it. And I laughed at some of the things they said. But then after I got done watching it, I'm like, you know what? That's not really fair. I should probably give them one another shot. I mean, is it really going to be that bad? I mean, as long as the movie's enjoyable, I will probably find some enjoyment out of it. So, yeah. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to stick up for Elwood here. I thought it was fantastic. I remember when it came out of the cinema, I remember the trailers for about a year in advance, every time I went to the cinema for it, and they were, they hyped me to shit. They were little, they were funny, they were epic, they were, they were ominous. And I was really excited for the film when I went to see it. I don't think I was disappointed at the time. Not only that, it's got the Puff Daddy, Jimmy Page, Come With Me song, which is freaking epic as well and it's just a hugely entertaining movie it's funny it's got monsters in it it's got Jean Reno it's got Matthew Broderick it's got Hank Azaria it's it's just got so much to love about it and I actually think it's better than 80% of the Japanese Godzilla movies and it's infinitely more fun than the more recent American attempt which is frankly boring for 80% of its running time all right all right all right very cool very cool um, I don't know, Kimmy, thoughts about Godzilla? Yeah, this podcast is turning out like, hey, Kim, do you watch any movies? <laughs> Sorry. <Maybe not. laughs> yeah, no, the, I mean, I knew about the the movies, and I agree, I remember the trailers back then that it was pretty cool, but the reason why I didn't watch it was because I hadn't watched any Godzilla before, and I somehow have this thing where like, I don't watch King Kong movies, I don't watch Godzilla movies, and I don't know why, so... I mean, the closest thing I have to compare anything to is, like, Pacific Rim. So, I didn't see it, in short. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, so, uh, on to my number two, and I'm just pulling my list right now. Um, number two movie, what the hell? Um, ah, gosh, I, well, you know what, I've already talked about this movie before on another show, so I'm, I'm not going to, if you want to know my thoughts about it, though, you can I'll mention this about honorable mentions here. But uh, what the hell? We're going to do uh, Speed 2. Speed 2 Cruise Control. Yes. Uh, sorry. Speed 2 Cruise Control. The follow-up to Speed. Uh, this one does not have uh, Keanu Reeves. No, this one has Jason Patrick and Sandra Bullock. And they're on a boat, and the boat is taken over by terrorists run by William Defoe. And, yeah, I guess, why in the world am I defending Speed 2, alright? I guess because of the fact that it has William Defoe in an awesome performance. I do like all the actions and stunts of this movie. Um, maybe I should have thought about this before I picked this one. Um, but I didn't know what else to really pick. And I'll, I'll go through my honorable mentions later. Uh, I, I guess I just like the fact that even though it does copy a lot of the same things from the first movie, I still thought the states were maybe a little bit higher in Speed 2. Um, Stakes were higher in Speed 2? <laughs> oh, but so what I... Okay, maybe not. I, highway, jumping a highway wasn't high stakes. A bomb on your bus wasn't high stakes enough. But a cruise... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this would be really hard for me to defend. Maybe I should move to my number three. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
did enjoy watching this movie quite a bit. I just never understood why this was hated so much. It's the fact that you couldn't get Kennedy's back to the role. Uh, but I thought Annie had a little bit bigger role in this movie, which I kind of enjoyed. Sandra Bullock kind of did to be the star of her own movie there. Um, yeah, like I said, I I should have probably moved this to my number three, and I'll go through my honorable mentions, and maybe uh, honorable mentions should have been probably higher than this pick. But I do think this movie that gets wrongly lambasted just because it was the follow-up to Speed, and everyone loves Speed so much. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm shitting guessing my choice here, guys. I really am, all right? I think the problem you have with Speed 2 is the fact that you've only used your free fastest modes of transport in Speed 1, so we've had a lift, a bus, and a, a train. Um, the only option, the, the sensible option would have been to put it on a plane, uh, but instead we're on a boat, and obviously the first problem you have with the boat is the fact there's not a lot in the ocean for it to run into it's like i don't know a bunch of stray penguins or some tosser in a yacht or something that may have been like something but um i don't know it's more of a it's more of a uh, siege movie it's kind of like more like going more of a diehard vibe to it than than speed which was obviously about trying to work problem solve like how to work around these many issues that are and aspects that are being presented to you and obviously with speed to it sort of like it's essentially someone's locked the controls so the boat will only go forward um like the start of enterprise and uh yeah that was probably one of the main main issues and i think even Colonel Roos was like the reason he didn't sign it was like i don't get it um, <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously a good a good enough reason not to do something they lost to the postman <laughs> with anaconda batman and robin and something called fire down below which appears to be a Stephen Seagal thing, so yeah, it only it, it only only defence I can get it wasn't the worst film that year. Sorry, it's just when you said fire down below, it's just imagine Stephen Clinic in the VE clinic. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I'm sorry. Do you do you hear me okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, my computer shut down because I was talking about Speed Two, when I probably. <laughs> Should have been talking about something else on here instead, but no, I had to go and try and defend my enjoyment of Speed 2. And I was trying to pick movies on here that most everyone really sort of hates, right? But that I enjoy. I'm talking about everyone, like not just, you know, audiences. Oh, yeah, you, you, made, you oh, made a great you, choice. You, you just you've hit the mother load. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I literally just watched Speed 2 last year, so it is fresh in my mind okay. how much I hate it. Okay. <laughs> what did you hate about the movie? Because you saw it probably a little bit more recently than I did. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I've been like not wanting to watch it because I had seen, I think, trailers or something and I really love Speed 2. Like, I love Speed 2. Every single ounce of Speed 2 I love, you know? It's like one of my favorite movies. Like, top ten. Uh, but, I mean, like, I just... It was just like really bad like i i'm not i'm not a picky movie watcher like compared to all of you i have i'm super lenient with movies but like i couldn't get into the dialogue i hated sandra bullock in this because she was like i like sandra bullock but i i hated like the way they made her character like it wasn't the annie we knew and then they had to like of course had to put in like oh you know like Keanu Reeves' character was mentioned of why they broke up and stuff like that, and it was kind of like, okay, yeah, sure. Um, and then this guy's pretending he's like 
not a cop. And then you're just kind of like, and then the ending scene was so ridiculous where it was like the cruise ship was like, just runs into the harbor. And, and, and hey, that was fun. That was great. So just and then to it stop was... you that game, I mean, he's not playing Keanu Reeves character. <laughs> I mean, the whole time I watched this film, I thought he was playing Keanu Reeves character. I didn't realize he's a different guy. Oh, I wow. believe he was a different guy. Yeah, I think it was a different guy, but... He was a different guy, because she specifically mentions why she broke up with that other person, and why this guy had to pretend he wasn't a cop, and then he revealed that he was, like, SWAT or something afterwards. Um, or, like, Bomb Squad, or can't remember what it was, but, like, like it was some ridiculous reason, and it was just kind of like, this is yeah, the foundation he's... of your relationship, right? And then he's this... a beach officer. <laughs> he's called Alex, and Keanu Reeves' character is called Jack. Yeah, exactly. Same name. The specifics. It was a while ago. I watched this. <laughs> <laughs> no, the whole the whole thing is just like, what's the point? And I, I, I'm not. Like, I don't agree with Mr. Reeves very often, but he was right. What what, what was the point? <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I mean, to to be fair, Vern, I I agree that Willem Dafoe was maybe the best part of this movie. Okay, that's the only thing I can maybe. Stick with you on. Only maybe yeah. the best part of this year? What? <laughs> what was better than William Defoe acting all... He was being all William Defoe-ish. With his William Defoe-ness. Just, he, was, he was just spewing William Defoe-ness all over the screen. Yeah, ex- except everything else in the film kind of, like, overpowered how good he was, if you put it that way. And then you kind of don't remember much else about it. True. Okay. I, I don't look. I don't have alter. I only have a few movies that I have like a lot of like dislike for, you know. And uh, this this one is one of them. Like I watched them and I was like, I, I finished the movie and I was like, why? Why did I do this? Why didn't I just stick with my own judgment and not watch this? Gotcha. All right. Nope. Fair enough there, and I'm starting to question my choice a little bit in this year, but nope, damn it, it's going to be on there for now. We'll return after these messages. Hello! Do you like having your podcast interrupted by promos? Probably not, so we'll keep this brief. My name is Chris. My name is Mike. And my name is Justin. And we just wanted to introduce ourselves. We're the Casual Cinecast. We're a weekly podcast that reviews current movies and TV, as well as the occasional dive into classic cinema with the Criterion Collection. We cover everything from Black Panther to Black Narcissus. From Solo to Sallow. From Love, Simon to Simon of the Desert. If that sounds good to you, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you there. You know, Or, or something, because we probably won't actually yeah. see you. But... Yeah, we don't see them when they listen. Right, well, okay. Um, well, back to your podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. All right, guys, so we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to French Toast Sunday podcast. Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we do every week. No, it's got to it's got to be Mark Wahlberg. What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's got to be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness. Full frontal. Stories about being lost at sea. Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boobs. Baltimore accents as heard in The Wire. Wonderclaws. Crepes. Character studies. Wait, 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 guys. What about movies? No. Tree rape. Hmm. 
Tree rape? Yeah, I like tree rape. Tune in every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com. Clothing made out of Burger King wrappers. <laughs> Let's go on to you, Stephen, sir. What is your number one? Number one movie you love that well, everyone hates? I couldn't choose between two, so I'm just going to toss a virtual coin now, and I'm going to go for the one I've seen more recently. I'm going to go for Year 2000's The Cell by um, Tarsem Singh. Um, so a Jennifer Lopez vehicle. Um that was given a torrid time when it came out. I do think it might have got slightly better feeling nowadays, but I love it. It's one of the most beautiful, glorious things that's ever been put onto film. It's like a music video made life, which of course doesn't, which makes sense when you think Tarsem sings the guy that did things like um, REM's Losing My Religion video. Um, I adore Jennifer Lopez. Um, the only downside to it to me is it's Vince Vaughn's in it in, that period of in his career where people couldn't work out if he was going to be a serious actor or a comic actor and you know this that sort of rocky period of his career and there's a brilliant term by vincent um donofrio as a bad guy that's nuts and crazy and the whole thing is just like this glorious colorful sci-fi serial killer movie that should be thought of as as good as silence of the lambs but unfortunately isn't Good choice. I love the cell. Um, I totally agree with yourself. I mean, the cell is great, and Tarsim obviously did go on from this to direct um, the fall, which is also really massively overlooked. Um, I mean, I really love I love the cell. I don't. I didn't even know it got bad reception. I just sort of uh, came picked up on VHS after thinking it looked cool in all the trailers that did for it, and I love the concept of going inside the mind of a serial killer. And um, yeah, visually, it's it's really interesting and. I don't understand why people wouldn't like the cell. I think it's because it came hot on the heels of Silence of the Lambs and that whole serial killer vibe which happened in the cinema at that time. And this was a film which wasn't dirty and grimy and it went certain that kind of gritty urban way. It was dirty and grimy in a sort of dirty, sexy um Marilyn Manson nine inch nails kind of way. Um maybe we weren't quite ready for it yet. I think it was a little bit too much for like a mainstream audience to kind of take in. I think majority of the movie is spent inside these uh, grimy environments um, with very kind of like odd visuals and to put like uh, general audiences into that landscape for so long. Yeah, they're going to be taken a bit aback by that. Uh, I enjoyed watching the film thought myself to be kind of confused of it because I was just taking in the visual so much so I really didn't follow the story all that well when I first watched it and then I just haven't seen it again I don't know if it's one that I would rent again but I may um, I'm hoping that maybe uh, Hulu or Netflix will put this movie on their network so I can check it out again because I, I would be kind of curious to see this again to see if it still holds up at all 
Okay, well, you know, let's continue the I've never seen this movie vibe here. (laughs) 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 This is sounding really interesting on my part. Uh, Yeah, no, um, I didn't watch this because of Jennifer Lopez. I I don't know. I watched every time I pick up a movie of hers, I just don't like it. And I think at that point, I was just like, I was just like done with it. And I was like, couldn't be bothered. And um, yeah, I wasn't really into horror and stuff back then. So I was just kind of like, nope. (laughs) Right up here. Kim, have you seen Out of Sight yet? I might have. All right, that's a that's a Jennifer Lopez movie that I actually do enjoy. No, it. no, I haven't seen it then. No. Okay, all right. It's it's a good one. It's probably the only good movie I think she's ever done. Is that movie? And maybe this one too. And I'm sure if I see this again, I will probably put this one up there. But yeah, if I had to see, if I had to recommend any Jennifer Lopez movie to a listener out there, Out of Sight. Is a good one with her. Is that the is that the one with George Clooney? Yep. Yeah. So this the sale kind of followed was her next sort of film after that. Another reason I think it probably a lot of people didn't like it because Out of Sight was very well regarded and this wasn't in the same ballpark. You know, it wasn't a funny, sassy, sexy action film. It was it was something quite different and perverted right very cool um so that was your choice Stephen, with the cell and now onto you kim what is your number one uh, i don't really know if anybody's seen this movie maybe 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 elwood and steven might have seen it i don't know <laughs> um yeah so my choice is um pulse american remake okay not the japan japanese one okay <laughs> american remake oh, okay <laughs> pulse yeah, Pulse. There are people on my computer. A frequency has been uncovered. It has to be a virus. Did you open it? Yeah. I did too. Between our world... Who are these people? ...and the dead. How long have you been watching them? The question is, is how long have they been watching me? That's what was on the bus. It's following me. The signal is growing stronger. You're not real. They were looking for a door and we gave it to them. The message is spreading faster. Oh my god. When you look them in the eyes, you're infected. The invasion is getting closer. Cut the connection. Nobody leaves! Pulse. What do they want? They want life. Alright, uh, I think, uh, didn't Takashi Miki do the first one? Or I'm thinking something that, no, that's just, different. okay, go ahead, continue, I'm sorry. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember if it was Takashi Miki, I don't think so. Uh, I did see Kairo. Uh, it was Kayushi Kurosawa. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. I just, I just watched one of his recent films, yeah, okay, yeah, so no, I mean, um, I like Pulse, uh, I know a lot of people hate it, uh, but, I, I think like I think Pulse Two is horrible, but like Pulse is really I, I like the atmospheric thing of it, and um, I like Kristen Bell, so I mean uh, that that's kind of a selling point for me. And I thought there were some scenes that were super effective. Like <laughs> I, I don't know, I I get scared of the film, so I I don't know. I think that's why it works for me. I like the idea of it and how like technology kind of like is possessed by spirits and it kind of like has these like really cool things and it doesn't like i mean i watched this before i watched the original so i think that like after you watch the original you're kind of like well this is kind of like a lesser choice (laughs) but i've never seen pulse before what is pulse about 
Is it about people checking each other's pulses? Do these people work in a hospital? No. <laughs> uh, pulses, pretty much, it's about, like, um, some computer hacker who dies uh, because he channels, like, this sort of, like, um, I don't know, the signal or something. I, I don't I don't know how to, I'm, I'm really bad at synopsis. And then, like, um, his friends realize that, and then they kind of, like, kind of, like, trace, kind of, they like, try to figure out what's going on, and they realize that uh, technology, and, like, there's, like, these, I, I don't know, like, I'm starting to mix up the Japanese version right now, because <laughs> I watched that one more recently. Um, it's, like, there's, like, the technology starts having, like, being possessed by these, like, um, uh, mysterious spirits of sorts that kind of, like, um, someone help me. <laughs> Uh, they, they kind of like, yeah, so it's like this evil that kind of is terrorizing, like, the world, and it's they're like, coming in like through the, the technology the, and the wireless. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. the, 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 the afterlife is, is coming into our world through yeah. technology. Exactly. That's the, that's the guts of it, which is somewhat different to the Japanese original, which, sorry to take over your film here, Kim, but the Japanese original is much more about loneliness yeah, and exactly. Suicide and about how technology can both alienate you from the real world and potentially connect you to a, a different kind of world, which which is different to the physical. So it's um it's like a few of these Japanese American remakes of Japanese films from the sort of early 2000s, which yeah. take kind of a somewhat they take a somewhat more literal approach and turn them into kind of Western horror films. Um, so you can also look at what the other ones came like. They did The Grudge, didn't they? And they did one called The Uninvited, which is another one. Um, yeah, very, very, very different in atmosphere. All right. Very quickly. I, I haven't seen either of the Japanese or the remake. Hello. 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 One echo. Sorry. Is everyone there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here. Okay. Good. Okay. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, I have not seen the uh, original or the uh, the remake of Pulse. I do like Kristen Bell. You know, I do like the the Good Place and Veronica Mars. So I. Might check this one out. Uh, anyone else in this one, Kim? That's worth noticing. Like who? What? <laughs> hey, well, for 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 the polls, is there anyone else in this movie? That's yeah, worth Ian Sommerhalder. I like him from uh, I like him from Vampire Diaries, but I watched this before Vampire Diaries, so uh, I, was it before? Yeah, something like that. Maybe I don't I don't remember. Uh, apparently Octavia Spencer is in it. Now that I'm looking at it, <laughs> looking at it, but I haven't rewatched it in a few years. Um, but yeah, I mean. I definitely recommend the Japanese version more um, now that I've seen it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I feel like in the Western world, it even the Japanese version doesn't really get great ratings either. I can't remember the ratings, but I remember like when I first first watched Pulse, and I was looking it up, and there was people that were saying that the original Pulse wasn't that good, and I was like, but then why was there a remake? You know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I don't know. I mean, I think it works like like Steven says, it's a really literal approach. Um, it's more like just, you know, like just running away and you know, there's these techno it's like, oh, the horror of technology, you know. Um, I don't know how it translates till like today. I mean, I watched it I think a good 
five, six years ago. So I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe my opinion has changed, but in my mind, I still think that like, there are some really scary scenes in it uh, that, that, that I don't know if it was, it wasn't in the Jap, it wasn't in the Japanese version though. I think some of the scenes, but it worked for what it was like. I thought it worked at least. I mean, the the Japanese original is a it's a cult film even in Japan. Exactly. I mean, Kayushi Kurosawa is a is one of my favorite directors. And if Zoe had been here today, me and Zoe both think the original Pulse is just fantastic, and we would yeah. have waxed lyrical about it. And it will appear on an episode of Asian Cinema Film Club. I can promise you, I'll be putting Elwood through this if he hasn't seen it already. But they just share the same name and the same broad idea. Um, yeah. It's 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 really hard to um, explain how disparate they are. Um, and I love Kristen Bell as well. So I haven't seen the American remake or if I have, I haven't paid it that much attention. But you've just sold it to me on that count alone. All right. Very cool. Um, all right. Elwood, what's your number one? Um. Right, uh, number one. Um, I had a couple of films I was going back and forth. We'll come back to those when we do the also rounds. Um, but the film I am going to go with is a film which I have like talked about doing with uh, Kristen Lopez over at Genesis Classic Film and everywhere else. Um, we've talked about doing a commentary for this film for like the longest time, and that is 2005's Domino, um, directed by Tony Scott, and with screenplay by Richard Kelly. Um, this is a biopic of sorts. It is based on both the truth and the lies, as the opening text tells us, of the life of Domino Harvey, who was a fashion model turned band hunter who died at the age of 35 of a fentanyl overdose in 2005. Um, so she died just before the film was released, and she did actually work with Tony Scott uh, on many aspects of the film, which when you watch the film and compare it to real life, you wonder what aspects she was exactly working on. Um, the film itself sees Kira Knightley horribly, horribly, horribly miscast as the character Dominic, who has the look down, okay, but is intimidating as a cloud. Um, here she does get fantastic support from Mickey Rourke, who was on a bit of his indie kickback at the time, doing things like Sin City and uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Um, as well as Edgar Ramirez, who looks nothing like his real-life counterpart, because in here, Edgar Ramirez is, like, the hot Latin guy, and when we see his real-life counterpart, Choco, he's this balding black guy with about three teeth in his skull. Um, the film itself, it, as I said, it basically just follows Domino Harvey as she goes through... She's basically opens with her being um, interrogated by Lucy Liu, and it goes back through her life, and from briefly touching on her troubled upbringing in school, where she was like bullied and being a fashion model where she's bullied. And then finally deciding that she wanted to randomly become a band hunter for some reason and follows her on this really fantastical journey, um, culminating in a main plot line involving um, identity theft and uh, the mafia. And it's a really stupid film, but at the same time it's shot in such a colourful and interesting way by Tony Scott, it's hard not to like this. And I think that's why I really like about it, the fact that it is has all these flash cuts and it has like title cards come up and 
the casting throughout is just really interesting because you've got not only Lucy Liu, you've got Mickey Walker, as I said already, you've got the, like, the likes of Doa Lindo, with Macy Gray puts in an appearance. Uh, we've got Christopher Walken uh, turned up as a TV exec who's described as being like a weasel on crack. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a really fun ride throughout. And I just, while the plot itself is really confusing and doesn't make a huge amount of sense, I mean, a really fun game is to try and figure out how the main plot of this film actually works. Um, as you'll probably get about 50% through figuring it out and then you feel your brain start to bubble. Um, but for some reason, I just really, really enjoy Domino and it remains like my guilty pleasure. I know it's not particularly great, but I just still enjoy watching it nonetheless. So, no. I enjoyed the hell watching this movie with Domino, yeah. I don't know why anyone would have issues with this flirt. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, usually Tony Scott's recent uh, camera works really did not, it didn't work so well. And, um, oh gosh, what's the movie he did right before this one? Was that Man on Fire? Yeah, Man on Fire. I, I didn't work so well with that, but I really kind of thought it worked really good with this one, it's a very kind of flashy film. Um, I en- enjoyed a lot of this. Yeah, this is one I definitely would probably check out again. I think it's uh, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, if I had any issues with this movie at all, um, maybe it does get a little bit too long near the end of it. Um, I think if this was a solid 90-minute feature, it would probably be one of my favorite movies, but I think the fact that it does get a little bit too long loses some points there. But that—that's just it. I just—I mean, when you're saying the part where it starts to get long, I mean that's around the part where we have like the moon landing sex sequence, um, and then randomly um, Tom Waite turns up out of the desert. So I think at that point you just kind of go with it when Tom Waite just randomly shows up in your movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I mean, if you watch get the actual DVD, it's uh, got this whole feature on the real Domino Harvey. And basically, they were saying that they used to send her into bars to, like, charm these guys into coming out. And then the other two, her partners, um, Ed and Choker, would basically jump the guy once he got in the parking lot, which I guess isn't an overly exciting movie. So you can see why they sort of uh, took a little artistic license here with it. But... Yeah, Kira Knightley is. She's an awful actress at the best of times, but here she's bloody appalling. Seeing her act, try and act tough. Um, when especially when she's like spouting out lines, which are supposed to be like these real like tough girl lines, and it's just like, I remember watching the cinema and just like in fits of laughter the whole way through, which was just getting these really stern looks from my friend who was. Uh, she had a bit of a thing for Kira Knightley, and I think yeah. she was there for different reasons though. Yeah, I, I like Kira Knightley. That was one of the reasons why I, I watched Domino. Um, I, I think it's a, like, I don't remember a lot of the film. It was a long time ago. It was one of the few Kira Knightley films that I never went back to watch again. Um, but I didn't hate it. I mean, I thought it was really cool. Like, I like the tough girl act. Like, <laughs> the exact things that, uh, <laughs> that Elwood laughs at. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, I thought it was it was solid. I mean, I don't remember much of it. I thought I thought all I remember is that it's like a few trippy scenes, and <laughs> that's about it. Right. Uh, Stephen, any thoughts about uh, Domino? I'm gonna pull the Kim card here and say I've never seen it, but I have to say it sounds freaking amazing, and yeah. I'll be sorting that out. <laughs> so, I know. You, I know what you're saying. You have me at Tom Waits. 
<laughs> you like sitting there, it's like Tony Scott and Richard Kelly in the same movie. It's like I must like remortgage the house and buy every copy of this movie. I know what you're thinking, Stephen. And you wouldn't uh, well, be well. I, I, I was on Amazon looking for the Blu-ray or DVD <laughs> of it. To be fair. <laughs> <coughs> Well, now they went to Elwood's choice of a movie that everyone either likes or wants to see. Now we're going to my number one pick of a movie that I actually really enjoyed despite all the backlash it got. And I'm probably going to get backlash from everyone here. Um, but my number one is not so much a movie I love, but I did enjoy it. I'm going to choose movie 43. What kind of neighbors would we be if we didn't have you over for a welcome dinner? Sean, <laughs> Samantha was just saying that they homeschool their son. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, well, we just think it's the only way to make sure that he gets the best education possible. You should really consider it for your kids. Hey, you know, Kevin's upstairs doing his homework right now. I'm sure he'd love to talk to you guys about oh, wait, it. Wait, so you homeschool your son, but he still gets homework? <laughs> very important to us that Kevin has a normal and complete high school experience. Written assignments are to be done in black ink, not green or blue or pink. When are you going to get that through your thick skull, Mr. Morris? Miller. That's a detention. Move, 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 move. Pick it up, pick it up. Come on, girlfriend, pick your knees up. Oh, I, I see. That's... But don't you ever feel like maybe he's, I don't know, missing out? Yeah, high school is about more than just classes and homework. Absolutely. There's the alienation, the loneliness. It should be the unhappiest time in a boy's life. That's why we try to make sure that Kevin doesn't miss out on any of those essential, emotionally scarring experiences that he'd get at a regular school. Back. Dropped your books, fuck face. Yes. Uh, this is a series of sketches. Um, it has actors such as Kate Winslet, uh, Hugh Jackman, Academy Award winner Emma Stone, Scott Naomi Watts, uh, Anna Ferris. Uh, basically, the whole premise of Movie 43 is that a producer comes to this guy's house with a gun and he's like I'm going to sell you a whole bunch of like pitches for really bad movies and you're going to try and buy one of these and what happens is just like a whole collection of sketches this is a sketch movie a lot like a Kentucky Fried movie and we have not had a really good sketch movie where it was just a series of sketches into a movie and I actually did find myself laughing at a lot of these, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but yes, I did laugh at a lot of sketches, like uh, Homeschooled, um, and I think this is the one that has um, Naomi Watts and Liz Schreiber as, like, parents who try to uh, get their... They have a homeschool, and they teach everything to the kids, like, even the birds and the bees. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but I found that funny. Um, uh, the superhero date, blind dating thing with the superheroes. Uh, and you got um, Uma Thurman in this one. Um, Kristen Bell. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
I'm not trying to do a good job of trying to defend this one, but damn it, I saw all the bad reviews and everything, so like, I'll give this one a shot, and the whole premise of the movie is that they're trying to sell the most worst movie ever idea, and that's the nature of the plot right there, it's the whole worst movie ever idea, and these are really bad movie ideas, these would never work as a feature-length film, and I think because of that aspect, I can laugh at more of this. Um, I mentioned before, I think Homeschooled is probably the most uncomfortable one in the series there, but I still find it to be very funny. Um, uh, gosh, the, there's one about the most, I think it has a Halle Berry in there as the most offensive date ever. These, this is a movie that I haven't seen in a while, and when I was trying to come, come up with my list, I was trying to feature films that I know I've gotten bad reviews from both critics and audiences, and that's why I'm going with movie 43. Um, yeah, just if you go into this movie, just know that it's just a bunch of tribute sketches about a Hollywood producer trying to pitch out the most worst movie ideas ever. And for me, I found that to be very enjoyable, knowing that these are just bad movies for the sake of being bad. Okay, so I'm going to get this out of the way right now. Um, I haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's just I'm just going to get it out of the way because, one, I saw the trailer, and I thought it was absolute ridiculousness. And, like, I thought it was so dumb. And I have a rule in my life is that when I see something that I believe is dumb, I don't watch it. Because I have a very picky humor. Right. Um, and the moment I watch, like, if I watch something dumb, and I, I just I, I just hate it. And I, I can't. Like, you know, <laughs> I like brainless entertainment, but I can't do dumb. So, um, so I just, it just, it wasn't my type of movie. And I knew I would hate it if I watched it. So I didn't, so different from Speed 2, who I gave a chance to. Uh, movie 43, I just kind of, like, let it go, and it's okay, you know? <laughs> and I, I can understand that, too, because I guess another reason why I like this movie is the fact that you have all these Academy Award-winning or nominated actors being in this most ridiculous movie. If these actors were not in this movie, if there was no Kate Winslet, uh, there's no Naomi Campbell, Emma Stone, Hugh Jackman, and even has... Um, Gosh, why am I blanking on his name right now? Um, uh, gosh, oh boy, this is There's bad. A lot. Just a lot. Yeah, a lot of people on there too. I, I, I get what you mean. Like the only intrigue of this film is why everybody got together to do this, right? These yeah. are like A-listers, and they're like, they decided that they're gonna go out and do this film, and then I don't know if they have any regret in their life about joining it though after the the bad reviews, or is it just like they were just like. Let it go, you know? Let's just do something, you know, relaxing or something, or effortless or something. I don't know if it's effortless. I haven't seen it. Who am I to judge? I think it's a mixture of, like, blackmail and and status at the time. I mean, if you look at look at it, uh, who's in it, I mean, Kate Winslet was going for a divorce at the time. I think Halle Berry was going for a divorce at the time, so... Um, let's have a look at this. Well, they got that. They probably threatened to expose or something. Um... Yeah, I guess this is the thing. And was it Don? It's not Don Cheadle, was it? It's um, oh, what's his name? 
the guy who Don Cheadle stole his, his role in uh, Marvel. Oh. Terrence Howard. Um, yeah, Terrence Howard apparently has no money because he keeps making ill-advised <laughs> decisions on things. So that would explain why he, why he's there. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I like like Kim. I've never seen this movie. I've given it plenty of times when we we're playing Last Land Standing, but uh, um, I've never actually sat down and watched it. And I don't know. I think it's one of the things I know. One of these days, I'm going to sit down and watch it. It comes on TV, but I'm not going to go my way to watch it. You haven't? I thought you did. No, I've not seen this one. Oh, I thought you. I thought you told me once that you did. Did I? <laughs> I don't know. I, you, the trailers it seems to be like all the funny bits, so I assume that I, unless there's something that I'm missing in there, but I couldn't see there being like any more ground groundbreaking moments in there. But oh, I told you that. Oh, I just there was a segment that was come from the film that has Julianne Moore and Tony Shalhoub, directed by Bob Odenkirk, that I kind of want to watch now again. Yeah, I just. It's hard for me to defend this movie, but I just like the fact that, you know, James Gunn directed a sequence in this, and his part was kind of funny with the animated cat. Um, yeah, it's just dumb. I just, if you if you enjoy watching, like, the... Remember in Family Guy, when it cuts to, like, random things happening in the episode? If if you expanded those out for a little bit, that's what movie 43 is. That's my only way to describe it. Just really... <laughs> Well, and, you, you definitely didn't sell, sell me on that because I don't watch Family Guy, and that's the okay. reason why I don't watch it. I have to, like, question, is movie 43 worse than the underground comedy movie? I have not seen the underground comedy movie, so I don't you know. You see, this is the thing. Maybe these, like, little snarkcasters should, like, when they're going on about the little bad movies and stuff, instead of, like, dwelling on movie 43, which is, like, easy follow, why don't they go and dig out some of the obscure, like... The, under, the underground comedy movie, which is truly horrible, and again, it's a sketch comedy thing like this, and features such wonderful things such as Batman, which is some guy with a baseball background hitting people, and uh, the amazing adventures of Dick Man, who's basically a superhero who's a giant dick, because you call him and he will come. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, that's what I want to see. I want to know if it's worse, movie 43 is worse than that film, because I thought that was like the rock bottom for comedy movies and that's even like taking away things like date movie and superhero movie and cinematic root canal surgery movie and, <laughs> um, I, I, see I think this might be even better than like that superhero movie that came out from oh my gosh that, that team that did that shit or disaster movie that stuff I will say movie 43 is better than those because those movies were just trying to just show you a character from a favorite movie and have them do some sort of pratfalls. I'm not saying that the rating this is any of their high of any uh, high class right there. I mean, you have a, a sketch where Hugh Jackman has testicles hanging from his chin, and that's the entire joke. All right, um, but there are other ones in this that I do find funny. I do like the one well, at least with Halle Berry um, and Stephen Merchant doing, like, truth or dare on a date and doing, like, the worst truth or dares for this. Yeah, I, I, I found that part's funny. Some sketches work. Some sketches are horrible. Um, yeah, but I this is a movie that I knew got, like, really low grades, and I watched it, and I hate to say it, but I laughed more than once at this movie. And maybe I laughed because it was so bad, but damn it. Uh, I'm gonna get shit on because of this, but that's that's it. That's my number one. Uh, but 
before we go, let's just, just get to some honorable mentions. Let's start with you, Stephen. Just some honorable mentions that were not in list. Okay. Well, I really struggled over this one, and the reason I dropped it is because I think Elwood and Kim just talked about it on their last episode of or one of their episodes of um, Movies and Tea, which is Sucker Punch. Um, no, Sucker Punch. Yeah. Yay. I, I fucking love Sucker Punch. I think it's the most misunderstood film ever. I. And I'm sorry about the swearing, but I fucking hate Brett Ratner. I think most things he's done, done are soulless, heartless. He's a shit director, but he's a brilliant director of photography. And I think Sucker Punch, a bit like The Cell, which is what the toss-up was about, is one of the most gorgeous looking. It's a, it's a computer game made flesh. Um, the music's fantastic. The whole visuals are amazing. I don't care if it's misogynistic or if it's attacking me for being misogynistic. I think it's brilliant. The other film I was going to choose is a bit more specific, and I didn't choose it because it, no one on this podcast will have probably ever heard of it. But if you know the um, Korean Whispering Corridors films, there are a series of five, I think, five um, ghost girl horror movies that have no connection with each other except the same production company. But they all have this sort of general idea of... Korean schoolgirls and ghosts with a bit of lesbianism thrown in and and, and they the have various artistic qualities from being fairly straightforward and one's quite arty. But number four, the voice is totally different and everyone always forgets about it because it doesn't sit in the same vein. It, it actually goes to a, a co-ed school and you actually join the story with the ghost who finds out she's a ghost. And it's always just the, the forgotten one of the five, and I love it. So they were the two, Sucker Punch and Whispering Corridors, The Voice. All right, very cool. Uh, Kim, what about you? What, what's your honorable mentions? Uh, my honorable mentions are, uh, I don't know, I mean, <laughs> uh, I chose I chose 2004 Van Helsing. I, I don't know if that's a good choice anymore, because I haven't seen it in a really long time. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. That's more of a movie that I enjoyed. Um, and the fourth Fast and Furious. Everybody hates it, but I thought it was really fun. <laughs> is that just Fast and Furious? Fast and Furious, yeah. Not gotcha. not the first one, which is the Fast and the Furious. And gotcha. I mean, we can toss in for funsies uh, Transformers Age of Extinction just because Dinobots! Dinobots! Alright, very cool. Uh, Elwood then, what are your honorable mentions? Um, I mean, again, I was going to say Sucker Punch, um, which is just, is wonderful. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, a lot of these films are great that we've discussed tonight. I mean, it makes me wonder who is who is defining this as being bad movies. Are we listening to like Rotten Tomatoes, whose opinion matters squad? Are we talking about those hacks over like films called Rejects or um, Harry Knowles or Joe Blow or those sort of nonsense? I mean, I think a film is defined by whether it's personal experience. And I think just because some critic doesn't get it who's watching like seven or eight movies that week, it doesn't mean that it's uh, necessarily a bad movie and I think this has been shown time and time again with obviously what we've discussed tonight and um, again those lowly snarkcasters they love to brand all Nicolas Cage's movies as being the same which they're not um, but 2005's The Weatherman directed by Gore Vidbinski. Um this is a film we made in between Pirates of the Caribbean movies and I think it's a really really fun movie um, basically Nicolas Cage plays David Spritz who's a weatherman on a Chicago news program who's well paid, but he gets very little respect from people who seem to like make this habit of throwing food at him. And 
the whole film is narrated, got this uh, voiceover from Nicolas Cage, who just plays is absolutely tone perfect, and he's posed against uh, Michael Caine, who plays his father, who's this Pulitzer uh, winning writer. And basically, it's about David basically trying to find his place in life, because first of all, he thinks he's going to become a writer because his father was a writer and that it would somehow pass on, but he's struggling with this novel that he's been working on, and um, eventually he takes up archery as a way to for, sort of bring all his uh, problems into uh, into order, and it's just a really, really fun movie. Um, my other sort of pick is a film that me and Kim have obsessed over, and we've certainly talked about movies in tea, and that's Event Horizon. Um, <laughs> yeah, Paul Dreyer Sensen, I think because he directed a load of Resident Evil movies, um, and people like to think, well, you direct video game movies, that means you're a bad director, and I think, as we proved on the first season, he's not a bad director, he's a very visually driven director, and yes, he has some duffs in his uh, filmography, but certainly Event Horizon is not one of them. It's a wonderful um, horror haunted house in space movie. It's got numerous nods to other classic horror movies in there as well. And the fact that it was toned down from the very hard R it was going to be originally, um, and somehow it works all the better, um, is a real sort of credit to the film. But Event Horizon is just terrifying from start to finish. And, um, yeah, it's got some random moments there, but it works. Very cool. Very cool. Any other ones? Or that? That's it. I mean, that's okay. it. So, uh, right. For myself, I mean, I think we've covered everything else. I think you gotcha. see, we've, we've either covered it or people have stolen it from me. So. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. So going through my list, and I realize I probably should have put some of these in my list that I did mention here, uh, but I have on here Grease 2, which should easily replace Speed 2, but I still enjoy Speed 2. But Grease 2 I think is even better than the first Grease. Uh, I like Are you this. kidding me? No. I'm You're right, kidding. Ben. I mean, the stakes have never been higher in Grease 2. That's right. <laughs> yes, Grease 2. Bear songs, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, just a bear storyline all together. Great movie. And, uh, I got Sarka Punch in there. I love Sarka Punch. Uh, Alien Resurrection, which I think is probably about 15% better than Alien 3 even though Alien 3 is a lot of fun I still I still like watching Alien Resurrection I still like watching clones and Runner Weaver play basketball against the uh, prototypes which would eventually become the crew from Firefly um, I like that uh, Spice World I have got a big soft spot in my heart for Spice World um I love Spice World over here, so you, you're not alone in that one. Okay, good, all right. Uh, uh, and then, of course, I had uh, Howard the Duck in there. Yeah. I mentioned Howard the Duck. Uh, Spring Breakers, another movie that I enjoyed. I like Spring Breakers. Eventually yeah. about there. Um, Mother, uh, most recently, even though it, had, it just came out to theaters, I think Assassination Nation is a movie that is going to really kind of divide certain people, but I really enjoyed that flick. Um but yeah, those are my audible mentions there, yes. Alright. Um, Alright, well, I, I think that just kind of wraps up everything right now, but before I do go, I want to hear from our guests to find out exactly what's going on new with them. So, Kim, I'm going to start with you. Uh, anything new going on with you with uh, either uh, Game Warp or your blog and any new food dishes that you do? Uh, well, I guess I'll talk about movies and tea, because, you know, Alwyn has a lot on his plate already. 
<laughs> so Another yeah, movies. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, movies and tea. We're gonna be heading into our season two, which is gonna be highlighting Guillermo del Toro's work, uh, and that starts in October. Um, and then um, on, I mean, it's it's you know we're 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 recording this like right before October, so a lot of it is Halloween themed, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm heading into Halloween marathon on my blog. Um, I had just talked about it in my um, I saw I well since the last time we've recorded, I started I've been doing uh, YouTube vlogs about it's like a what's up series. It's like what I'm doing pretty much. So it pulls all my projects together about like what I'm watching and reviewing because I write really slow. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Um, not really a whole lot. I mean, Halloween marathon this year, I decided to not go with a franchise. So I'm just choosing random movies. <laughs> Very yeah, cool, yeah. very cool. And then uh, tell listeners out there where we can find you. Okay, so my blog is uh, Tranquil Dreams, and you can find that at kling.wordpress.com. Um, if you talk about uh, Game Warp, you can find us on YouTube, uh, Game Warp Podcast. Uh, I don't know where you're going to be. I guess you could find us on Facebook easier, so facebook.com slash Game Warp Podcast. Um, and uh, on Twitter, I'm at TranquilDreams underscore. So, Elwood, what's uh, going on with you? Anything new in the horizon for like, TV Good Sleep Bad? No, not doing that for the time. No, obviously, we have, we've got many exciting things uh, happening at the moment. We've got the new episode, which we should be recording soon. Um, so that will be out soon. Um, at the moment, the last episode that we had out, uh, we looked at Animaniacs and Inside... Um, Inside Number Nine, which is another show that Lackey has done that thing where he shows me an episode or something, and then I just become absolutely hooked on it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just sort of all, all go really at uh, at uh, that moment in .com. We've obviously got Game Warp, where we've got exciting things happening. We've got um, Quantum Break, uh, which is coming up um, on there. Elvon. The Asian Cinema Film Club, we've also got some exciting things happening. We've obviously got the Halloween episode uh, coming up, so we'll have the vote for that going up as well, so you get to decide our view and fate in there. Yeah, as always, I mean, just go to thatmomentin.com and check out our podcast network. There's many exciting things happening over there, and there's more exciting things happening on the site itself, so uh, it's uh, the place to be. Uh, I was going to ask Stephen... Was going on with the uh, Asian Cinema Film Club, but Elway, you took that. I'm glad. Uh, Stephen, anything going on with your uh, Grey Low Rablins? Fucking hell. Grey <laughs> Low. Your, your site. Yes, thank you. Grey Gwe- Low Ramblings. Okay. Well, so on Grey Low Ramblings, I'm still writing the occasional review as and when I get time and inclination which comes and goes as with all of us with writer's block and busy personal lives. Um, I've also done some reviews recently at um, easternkicks.com. And I guess the only sort of new thing I'm doing, which I'm kind of experimenting with, with uh, I mean, around the Asian Cinema Film Club, is that I'm trying some more long form mini documentary kind of things um, with a series called Dark Tales from Asia. Dark, what, what are we calling it, Elwood? I can't remember. <laughs> Tales from the Asian Cinema Dark Side. 
That's right. It, it trips off the tongue like Guelo Ramblings, doesn't it? Well, I kind of look. So, so you in Hollywood, you know about all these sort of dark stories from the early years and rapes and suicides and murders and gangland interest and things like that. Well, it's very similar stories in Asian cinema. So we started off by having a look at Anita Mui, um, and then I'll be doing a few more of these. Um, stories about people like Leslie Cheung or about the um, uh, about some Korean stars and, and the problem of suicide and things like that. Triads and Yakuza interests in Asian film. So just trying yeah. for something a little bit different. That's that's not about uh, particular films, but about the, the world that film lives in. I listened to your one about Anita Moya from your uh, Perfect Blue episode. And uh, was she? I, I only recognized her from Rumble in the Bronx. Did she play Jackie Chan's boss in the story you worked at? That's right. Yep, yeah, she was the. That's that's her. That's her. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. That's her. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. I just always saw her in that one role, and I really just thought that she was uh, just kind of a bit part in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea that she had a, a long rich history. Entire episode. Yeah. Anita Mui is the Hong Kong diva of divas, pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, she has she had a, she has a really great career. If you go to like her, um, I I went. If you went to like where she's um buried, like where her ashes are uh, at the Giant Buddha in Hong Kong, literally every day there is someone there leaving flowers. Um, there's always something there. Years and years later, um, she's really loved. Oh, nice. It was a tragic, it was a tragic, like, it was a tragic, like, short career because she got cancer or something, I think. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and she, and she, and she lost her life. And, you know, she went out like a star. She, uh, she had, like, a bunch of concerts and stuff that, and she literally, like, because she never got married, she, like, wore an elegant, beautiful wedding dress in every single concert. It was, it was, like, her last hurrah. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, for Cinema Recall, we can be found on Twitter at Cinema underscore Recall. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Cinema Recall Podcast. Uh, Right now, all of our episodes can be found via Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, I need to get a new computer before I put together any sort of website because right now my laptop is really outdated uh, so I do know after our next episode I'm probably going to post most shows via my phone through Inker um, until I get a new laptop situated but that's it right now uh, again big thanks to everyone that was on the show big thanks to you Steven thank you sir Oh, thank you very much for having me uh, Elwood, thank you, sir. Pleasure as always. And thank you very much, Kim. Appreciate it, miss. Yeah, it's great. It's fun. All right. It's, uh, it's nice to be here. All right. Um, all right, folks, thank you all for listening, and we'll 